Welcome to Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. I'm your host, Melissa Brunetti. In this second season of Mind Your Own Karma, we're tackling the subject of adoption. Yes, adoption most of the time is a wonderful experience. You have the generous birth parents, the excited adoptive parents, and this lucky little baby. Everyone lives happily ever after, right? But what I want you to know is there's so much more to these stories. I'm an adoptee myself, and I want to bring all sides of the adoption journey to you in hopes to educate you and to bring understanding to this subject. We're about to get real and raw here, so let's dive right in. Hey, Karma Crew. As you know, we're talking about adoption this season on Mind Your Own Karma, the Adoption Chronicles. And last uh, couple weeks, I've been telling you a little bit about my story. I hope you were able to go on my Instagram and Facebook pages and take a look at uh, the pictures of my biological parents and me. I always thought I looked exactly like my birth mother, but when I put those pictures together and saw everything side by side, I was like, oh my gosh, I look a lot like my dad at that same age. So very interesting to see that because there's always been kind of a question about that. You know, there was no DNA test back then and he's passed now. Although I do know my sisters, but neither one of them have done DNA tests. So I really haven't been able to connect any DNA to his side. And there was always a question, you know, in his mind, or at least he said so back then at the time that he wasn't sure if, you know, he was my father and that's why he didn't marry, end up marrying my biological mother and the whole deal that you learned last week that happened in the story. So just kind of interesting to make that realization that, oh, I do kind of look like him. That's very interesting. Never saw that before. Um, So if you haven't seen it, go back and check that out. I might post a couple of other family, uh, biological family photos as well. I have some of like my uh, grandmother and things like that. So, um, anyway, go check those out this week on the podcast. We are going to dig into the book, the primal wound. If you are an adoptee or a birth mother or a adoptive parent, this book is pretty heavy. Um, this is the one that I previously told you that my birth mother had given me when soon after she met me and I read it and I threw it in the trash because I was so it's kind of a depressing book in a way. And I don't think at age, I think I was 23, 24 when I read it, but I was really ready to absorb it. You really have to be ready. And I don't think at that age, you're really ready to hear, hear what uh, Nancy Verrier has to say about adoptees and how the whole process can affect you and your entire life, really. Now I can look at it and be objective because I really, I'm always, you know, a work in progress and I want to work on me. And so, you know, I'm able to look at this and um, take what I need and leave what I don't. So I can look at it more objectively now. And now it's pretty interesting. But like I said, you really, if you decide to read it, you really have to be ready to hear some hard things and look at yourself in the mirror and, um, you know, maybe own some things or, or correlate like, oh, you know, I've always had a problem connecting with people on a, on a deeper level. And, you know, that could be why just kind of, you know, look at it and if the shoe fits, wear it kind of thing. So the first thing to realize when you read this book um, or to understand is this was written in 1993 and I don't think it's been revised. So um, 
they talk about the adoptee as a him throughout the book. That's one thing to note when you're reading the book. It is kind of um, difficult <laughs> to navigate when you're reading it like that. Everything's him. So um, I, even though this book was written in 1993, the psychology and the correlations that she makes still make sense. Um, they're still true today, and I think they're always going to be true. And I'm sure there's been a lot more work since this book came out just the psychology of adoption. But the basically the definition that she puts in the book and the, the preface, um, she says, what I discovered is what I call the primal wound, a wound which is physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual, a wound which causes pain so profound as to have been described as cellular by those adoptees who allowed themselves to go that deeply into their pain. I began to understand this wound as having been caused by the separation of the child from his biological mother, the connection to whom seems mystical, mysterious, spiritual, and everlasting. She goes on to say, I anticipate a great deal of resistance to the ideas set forth in this book. The only people who can really judge this work, however, are those about whom it is written, the adoptees themselves. Only they as they note their responses to what is written here, will really know in their deepest selves the validity of this work, the existence or non-existence of the primal wound, which is kind of what I was saying about, you know, take what you need and leave what you don't, own what you, you know, think you need to own. Um, Nancy Verrier, the author of the book, she is an adoptive parent. And when she adopted her daughter, and I think her daughter was, you know, newborn. I don't think her daughter ever went to foster care like I did um, in between, um, you know, the relinquishment, but um, she noticed right away that her daughter was in pain and she couldn't figure out why. Um, another part in the book where she talks about kind of just being naive about it, um, that, you know, we're going to give her a loving home. We're going to give her all the love that she needs and everything's going to be fine. Um, and it's just, it's just not that easy. It, I wish it was, but it's not. She also says some of the lessons I have had to learn on the way have been very painful for me. I have had to face the fact that I can never take the place of her birth mother. And she says, it's not that she didn't bond with her daughter, but it was through a lot of, you know, crying and sacrifice and, work that that bonding had to happen and some understanding of why her daughter was acting out the way she was and uh, the defense mechanisms that she was acting out with because of the primal wound you know those people that i'm going to hurt you before you hurt me kind of thing i'm going to reject you before you reject me and it's, and for an adoptee if you think about it for us a mother that gives her child up for adoption, no matter what the circumstances are, that's still a rejection because you're like, how can a mother give her child away? No matter what the circumstance, you still gave that child up. How can you do that? Like that is the most unbelievable abandonment that a mother could do that. 
no matter what the circumstance. It could be the most noble of circumstances. And it just doesn't matter to the adoptee. You still gave me up. You know, you gave me up and maybe you kept other children after me. So where does that leave you? I wasn't good enough. You didn't want to try hard enough to keep me. Even if you've had the greatest life as an adoptee, which I did, I have the greatest family. I would never, ever, ever give it up. But you were still rejected by your mother, no matter what. And that rejection reverberates. It's like dropping a pebble in a pond and it just ripple, the ripple effect just goes out from there and affects all your relationships that really can. And that's another thing that, you know, I think when, you know, I've been to therapy, pretty much everybody's been to therapy at, at some time or another. I was never asked if I was adopted. I was never asked that. And I don't, I don't think they probably even teach that that could be a factor in whatever is going on, you know, why you're, why you're in counseling, that that could be a root cause. I was never asked. I don't think physicians, you know, your doctor, they don't ask, they don't, and they just, it just doesn't, it doesn't come to mind for them that it could be a factor in any mental, physical, emotional health. And it really needs to be, it needs, it's a major question to ask. It needs to be start. It needs to start being asked. So I'm going to read a little bit from part one, the wound um, is the name of the chapter. It says too often in our approach to the newborn, we deal with him as if he is exactly that brand new. We neglect the fact that the neonate is really the culmination of an amazing experience that has lasted 40 weeks by looking at the neonate as if he had sprung full blown from the brain of Zeus, we're missing the opportunities that the newborn's history as a fetus can provide. And she talks a little bit more about the definition of the primal wound. It says that history to which Brazelton refers includes the bonding in utero of the mother and child. Many doctors and psychologists now understand that bonding doesn't begin at birth, but is a continuum of psychological, physiological, and spiritual events that begin in utero and continue throughout the postnatal bonding period. When this natural evolution is interrupted by a postnatal separation from the biological mother, the result experience of abandonment and loss is an indelibly imprinted upon the unconscious minds of these children, causing that which I call the primal wound. And it's just so profound because it's so true. Like we just think the baby pops out and they're just brand new and they, they haven't had a brain to think before, you know, in utero, they weren't thinking they weren't. And just when they come out is when they start thinking and, you know, having an, ex an experience, but no, they've already had an emotional and physical experience in the womb. They've already connected to that birth mother that carried them for nine months. And how could we think any different? I mean, we see the bond that, you know, mothers can feel and see the bond with their children and that has to, that has to have an lasting effect being taken from that, no matter how early, because they've already been, they've already been connected all this time. 
doesn't just begin when you're born, but because there's really no, no way to prove scientifically what that looks like. It, it's something that we just don't think about. So not only do you have, you know, what happens psychologically to the baby, but then a lot of times the adoptive parents have gone through their own things. How did they get to the point where they wanted to adopt? You know, a lot of times it's infertility issues, things like that. And so they're bringing those emotional issues along with them to their parenting of this child that's not biologically theirs. And how does that play into the whole relationship as well? That's the other thing. I think there needs to be a lot of counseling before and after. I mean, the birth mother alone, how much counseling does that woman need to be able to deal with the whole situation of carrying this baby, giving it up, and then wondering if you did the right thing throughout their entire life, you know, you don't know. You just hope and pray that they got a good family and had a good life. But I, there's not, there's none of that. That is not a requirement for adopting. And maybe some agencies, private agencies, maybe now are, are realizing this now, but back in 1968, when I was born, there was nothing, you know, nothing for my birth mother. And I know she struggled with it. And then my adoptive parents, nobody told them, you know, your baby may have trouble bonding and, you know, these things may come up. And if you notice this, that, and the other, no, they were just handed a baby and like, here you go, take her home. Good luck. You know, if uh, you don't like her or she's effective in any way, bring your receipt back and you can, you know, we'll, we'll exchange her for another baby. It's just like, so ridiculous. I just don't understand how it's just turned into this huge fantasy story where it's just all roses and happiness and, oh, it's so beautiful that this mother decided that she just couldn't care for her baby and what a gift and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, everybody lives happily ever after. And it's just, it's just not that way. And I think it's time that we look at these hard things. Nobody wants to hear the part of the story where this baby had to cope and had, you know, the baby didn't have any counseling. The baby didn't have any rights. The baby didn't have any say in anything. And then here we are, we grow up, I'm, you know, 54 years old and I still have no rights and I have no rights to my original birth certificate. I have no rights for the agency to tell me where I even came from, what my genetic history is. Do you know, I think this is another thing that people don't think about, but when, you know, when I started dating, I would always wonder like this person I'm dating could be my relative. I don't know. I don't know, you know, and people don't think about those things, but I did. And it's kind of funny because when, um, I started dating Greg, my a friend of mine was like, you guys look a lot alike. Saying that to an adoptee is terrifying. <laughs> I mean, it's terrifying. It's like, wait, what? Oh, I never really noticed. Oh, well, crap. Are we related somehow? I don't know. You know, it's horrible. It's a horrible feeling. Um, but something that, you know, 
a harmless comment that somebody was like, oh, you guys are so cute together. You guys look alike. It's like terrifying for me. And no, I'm not related to Greg, but <laughs> you know, it's just things like that, that people don't think about. And we're not, we're not privy to any of that. I didn't choose to be adopted. I didn't get to choose anything. And I still don't get to choose. I have no rights. Everybody else had rights. You know, my birth mother could have, you know, decided that she wanted to hide forever. And that was her right. You know, my adoptive parents could have lied to me and said that I was their, you know, genetic child. Um, and that was their right. But I don't have any rights. And that's what just makes me so angry when it comes to adoptees, because we have questions. It's just not fair that we can't get those answered. Anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox about that uh, for now. <laughs> I can't guarantee because it will probably come up again because it just burns my ass, to be honest. I just get so pissed off about it. All right. So let's get back to the book here. So, yes, I think counseling is so, so important before and after to all parties involved. Of course, you can't counsel the baby, but at least the adoptive parents can be aware. And, you know, if they do see some red flags come up, just that they could be more kind and understanding towards them instead of, and try not to, I know it's super hard for probably adoptive parent to realize that they can't fill that void no matter what they do. They could do everything right. Everything right. My parents did everything right, but there was nothing they could do to fix what happened to me before they got me. There's nothing. So just knowing that and knowing, um, as we go through this book, uh, they're going to mention some things that, um, a lot of adoptees, uh, the problems that they have connecting and this kind of thing with relationships and such. So just kind of to be aware of those things and give a little grace and don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. That's number one. You're doing your best. And these are things that there's, there's not a bandaid for. You just have to be kind, gracious, loving, and just be there and understand um, and be able to have those conversations with your child about how they're feeling um, and not take it personally is huge. It's a big deal. And those adoptive parents that decide to adopt because of infertility problems or for whatever reason, they can't have their own biological child. That's something that they're going to need counseling for too, because that is a loss, you know, that's a loss and you need to grieve that and mourn that and not, and work through that and not bring another child in to try and alleviate the pain of that. That's something that needs to be worked through before you bring that child into the, the fold of the family, in my opinion, because that's all going to act out in the whole dynamic of the relationship that's already going to have that primal wound. So Nancy Verrier goes on to quote, um, this Dr. Chamberlain, he wrote a book called Babies Remember Birth. And she says, he goes on to say, babies know more than they are supposed to know. 
Minutes after birth, a baby can pick out his mother's face, which he has never seen from a gallery of photos. The newly discovered truth is that newborn babies have all their senses and make use of them just as the rest of us do. Their cries of pain are authentic. Babies are not unfeeling. It is we who are unfeeling. And then Nancy says, if babies remember birth, then they also remember what happened right after birth, which is that their mother, the person to whom they were connected and whom they expected to welcome them into the world, was suddenly missing. How does this experience impact the emotions and senses of a newborn baby? And even just reading that is just super heartbreaking to me because that baby has to cope all by its little self with all of that. They can't talk. They can't. All they can do is probably cry out their emotions. And, you know, we don't have the brain capacity to remember when we're a little baby at that point. So that has to go cellular. Um, you know, if you've gone through a trauma and you something triggers that trauma, it's almost like a visceral reaction, a visceral feeling that you actually feel in your body and emotionally as well. And so even though I don't remember being born, that is in me. It's still in me. It's buried in my cells. My cells remember that visceral reaction, the feelings to being taken. We really underestimate babies and physically, emotionally, what they can do. We really underestimate it. And we just, this is not a fun subject to talk about and nobody really wants to discuss it. And I remember, you know, bringing up adoption to certain people and what do they always say? You can tell they're, they get very uncomfortable and and they just don't want to talk about it. And they're like, well, but you have great parents, you know, like that just, covers everything that fixes it. Like, it's like the only way I can describe how it might relate, um, a relatable way to think about it. Say you're a mother and you had your baby and you take your baby home and, you know, five years, 10 years down the line, you find out that your baby got switched with somebody else's baby and the baby that you brought home is not your biological child. Would that matter to you? Would you want to go find your biological child? Of course you would. Would it negate the fact that you've raised this other child as your child for 10 years? Does that change the love that you have for that child? That you still feel like that is your child, whether or not you just found out that this child's not biological. It doesn't matter. You've already bonded with that, that child, but you have a biological child out there somewhere. Would you not want to go find them and look for them? It's the same thing. It's the same thing for us adoptees. Yes, I have a mother and father and I don't want to, I don't want to replace them, but I have biological family that I want to know. I want to know them, you know, and so it doesn't negate anything that anybody has done in my family or um, it doesn't cancel them out in any way. It doesn't change the love, the relationships, nothing. It doesn't. But there is a need to 
find out and know and see where you came from. But if your baby got switched at birth, you wouldn't just be like, oh, well, I have I have my this daughter and that takes the place of this other biological daughter. It doesn't. It doesn't. So if you can kind of think of it that way and just be a little more understanding to adoptees that want to have these conversations, but we get shut down so much and it, and it, those conversations make us feel like, why are you, why are you searching for your birth mother? You have a mother. Um, and it makes you feel less than it makes you feel terrible that you want, or you have this need to do that because people just don't understand that it's a, it's a primal need. It's a primal need to know where you came from. I'm not sure why the subject, when we talk about adoption, um, why it makes people so uncomfortable because the only thing that makes me uncomfortable is the judgment I feel from the person that I'm talking to. I want to talk about it. It doesn't hurt. I think it's a very interesting story, but what makes me uncomfortable is how I feel the person is reacting and I could palpably feel their uncomfortable uncomfortableness in the whole thing. So that's what makes me uncomfortable. And it makes me feel like I don't want to talk about it. So have the conversations. Um, I, I really, that's what I'm going to be doing on this podcast. Um, I already have a few guests that are going to be interviewed soon. So I'm going to be bringing some other interesting stories. It's time we have the hard conversations and talk about it. Um, it's just not fair. It's not fair to the adoptees that we feel that we can't talk about those things because we don't want to hurt everybody else around us. And it's just not fair because we do most of, I don't want to say, I don't want to put everybody in the box, but most of us want to have these conversations and not feel bad or make somebody else feel bad about having them. Another interesting thing she brings up in the book is that as the number of caregivers increase, the ability to attach diminishes and the numbing of feelings becomes more and more evident. And I was kind of reflecting on that this morning, um, thinking about that, because that would go for children that were in incubators and things too, being taken, the feeling of taking from your mother, you know, um, and having all these caregivers, nurses and this and that. Um, also, I, you know, I grew up when I had my kids, you got six weeks off and then you went back to work. So my babies were, I think my son was six weeks when I went back to work. He's still a teeny little baby. So does that affect them at six weeks? Um, you know, handing them over to a stranger for nine, 10 hours a day, you know, who loved him dearly and took great care of him. But does he, did he have that primal wound? Like at six weeks, I would think that that's a possibility. It's just, it's not just adoptees. I think it could, you know, affect a lot of people just in different ways, in different scenarios. And then Nancy goes on to talk about adoption issues. And she says, it has been noted by some clinicians in working with adoptees that they all have essentially the same issues, whether they were adopted at birth or as teenagers. These issues center around separation and loss, trust, rejection, guilt, and shame identity, intimacy, loyalty, and mastery or power and control, and will be dealt with later in this book, which should be a very interesting chapter. 
but it's just interesting. And, you know, a lot of people have, you don't have to be adopted to have a lot of these issues, but it's just kind of a reoccurring theme with adoptees, it seems like. And I don't, you know, I could take some of these and own them and, and others know, but, but I can see how it can, these adoption issues can come about because of the loss of the first true security blanket that the baby had. And I want to read this part of the book um, to you guys, because it just, just really rang true to me. And it says, all of this rhetoric ignores one simple but critical fact. The adoptee was there. The child actually experienced being left alone by the biological mother and being handed over to strangers. That he may have been only a few days or a few minutes old makes no difference. He shared a 40-week experience with a person with whom he probably bonded in utero, a person to whom he is biologically, genetically, historically, and perhaps even more importantly, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually connected. And some people would like him to believe that it is the telling of the experience of the severing of that bond which makes him feel so bad. And so what do we do? We shut down the adoptee from telling because it makes everyone uncomfortable and feel bad, but it doesn't make the adoptee uncomfortable or feel bad. So have the conversation. Let them have a voice finally and be okay with telling it without judgment or criticism or why are you doing that? Why are you stirring the pot? Why are you bringing this up? It doesn't feel good. It has nothing to do with anybody <laughs> except for the adoptee and the birth mother and the birth family. I mean, it really doesn't. It doesn't affect the relationships, the other relationships that you've already formed. The only time I personally have seen that is when the child was not told and they were lied to and then it comes out somehow and then I can see how those relationships could be broken the trust is gone and there you go there's another another broken trust issue bond there with the family that you had thought was yours I can't imagine that I just I can't even I think almost that that would almost be worse than the primal wound is learning that your family lied to you and that they thought that was okay. I just, I just, that really makes me mad. I think people think that if we don't tell them, then they're going to feel more part of the family and they want to spin it so that it's better for the adoptee, better for the child that they, you don't want to tell them that they weren't wanted in some way. That's just not true. And um, from what I've been reading in this book, a lot of people that weren't told and found out later in life still felt there was something off, something missing that they didn't quite have. They felt like they didn't have the connection. And I think that cellular level, they know, they know that but you can't really put your finger on exactly what it is, but you know, you might not remember, but you feel it. Now, I never had the feeling personally of not fitting in because I knew, but I think it's in the times that the children are not told that they have that feeling of not fitting in, but not quite exactly knowing why. One man in the book said, although shocked at age 33 when finding a paper which told of his adoption, 
he did not feel shocked by the fact itself, but by the betrayal of its have being kept from him all those years. Even though the betrayal did not fully manifest until adulthood, it had been an unconscious barrier between him and his parents throughout his childhood. There was a secret. There was something that he was not being told, and he knew it. He knew it. So there goes the trust right out the window between the child and his parents. And there comes, you know, the dishonesty and that affects the entire relationship. That's so huge. You know, people that don't tell their kids, they say it's for the adopted child, but really it's a selfish choice to make that man to just lie to your kid like that. That is selfish. You want to be you want to feel like you are the parent. You don't want to have to deal with what comes along with the child knowing that they're adopted. You don't want to deal with it. And that's just not fair because the child knows they feel that there is something. There's something that you're hiding from them. The other thing she brings up, which I kind of brought up last week that I feel like I just got brought by the stork, you know, um, it says some adoptees say they feel as if they came from outer space or a file drawer. <laughs> You know, and I, I kind of felt like my parents went to the store to Target and took me off the shelf and brought me home and I was never born. You feel like you were never born and my mom will be coming on in the next week or two and telling her part of the story, but there's one part that she'll be telling that always makes me feel like they went and bought me at Target and took me off the shelf and brought me home. And they were offered <laughs> to bring me back if my parents didn't want me. And I don't want to give too much of the story away, but it feels like, um, do you still have your receipt for that child? Because you can bring her back and exchange her for another child if you'd like. And it's like, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell? Anyway, my mom will tell the story and you'll probably know what part I'm talking about, but I don't want to give too much away because she's going to tell the story. But yeah, it, that's how it feels kind of as an adoptee. Oh, you could bring her back if you're not happy with her. Is this one okay? Is she defective at all? Because you could bring her back. Oh, God. This is a child we're talking about. This isn't a commodity. It's not a box of cereal you just bought at the store. Like, you can't just... Well, I mean, you could, you could have just brought me back. You could have done it, but that's just crazy. Like, I don't, it, it makes no sense. There's just, there's no regard for the adoptee at all because we're babies and we can't express that this isn't right, that we have feelings about everything and we don't know what else. There's no way to, there's no outlet for that. So what needs to happen is the adults just need to be more aware. And that's why this book is so, so important. Like I said, it's hard to read. It really is. But it gives an understanding about so much that you might be experiencing with your adoptive child. The author quotes a doctor um, from one of his books, and it says, We now know that they are cognitive, they being the baby. They are cognitive beings with a wide range of abilities, such as recognizing their own mother's face, smell, and energy, feeling a wide range of emotions, remembering, learning, and using all five senses to experience their new life outside the womb. 
you know, we think of babies as like a little blank canvas, which we kind of are, but they've already lived some life, even in from the womb, you know, or the first hours or days after birth, they've lived those hours and they do have, you know, these, their senses and their feelings and their emotions. And it's just easy to sweep all of that under the rug because they can't remember it growing up and they can't verbalize it in the moment. So we just kind of sweep all that under the rug and pretend like it doesn't, it's not happening, but it's going to come out. It's going to come out later in life if we don't address it or not address it, but at least we're cognitive of the fact that this happened and that there can be some things that are going to come up that are stemming from it. And then Nancy uncovered this horrible fact. I don't even want to think about this, but she said, um, I learned in talking to social workers who worked in adoption agencies that one of the ways in which these grieving babies were kept quiet was by administering phenobarbital. Being left with no one who cares is devastating and babies scream their outrage at this denial of the basic human need to be held or to be touched. I just can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't even think about that. That just kills me that you are drugging these babies in their distress, in their trauma. It just, that just makes me so sick. How was that okay? How was that okay? Another thing she addresses in chapter one, which I kind of thought was interesting, is her daughter hated birthday parties. She did not want to celebrate her birthday. And her mom really didn't understand it. And I kind of, I don't like parties that are centered around me. I never really have, I'm, I'm getting over it now. I'm a lot better about it, but I never, even like having a baby shower or a wedding shower. I don't like to be, I didn't like to be the center of attention. Um, and I think maybe it's because I didn't want to feel rejected or, you know, if like 10 people showed up and we invited 50, then there's another rejection. So I didn't even want to go there. I didn't want to, I didn't want to feel that horrible rejection again. So yeah, especially as a child, I remember that just an uncomfortable feeling having a birthday party, you know, it's supposed to be exciting. It's like, why am I not wanting to do this. And I never, ever, ever related it to my adoption, but it makes sense. You know, some people don't even want to celebrate that when that month comes up, it's just like, ugh, it's that month again that I was born and rejected that I think, um, subconsciously that's a thing for some people. That's like anybody that had a trauma. You kind of remember that day or, you know, that somebody died. You remember the day they died and, you know, that just, that doesn't go away almost cellular that you can feel it, you know, coming, um, just the sadness or whatever. So it's kind of, I think I kind of relate it to that in a way. In fact, the author says that, um, clinicians and parents have, that told her that adoptees often act out a great deal before or during their birthday parties. These poor parents are trying to throw their kid a birthday party and they're acting out and they have no idea why they're being ungrateful little brats, you know? But they're hurting is what it is. They're hurting. And you just don't know because you weren't told. You didn't get a manual on, you know, how to raise an adoptee baby and what to expect, you know, with that. You were just handed a baby and you took it home. And that was it. End of story. And the most heartbreaking part about 
the whole birthday party thing is kid doesn't even know why they're doing it you ask them why they're acting out they probably don't know that's just so sad anyway i just want to wind up the last um the last of this first chapter um, by reading this summary because this really really is good it says adoption considered by many to be merely a concept is in fact a traumatic experience for the adoptee it begins with the separation from his biological mother and ends with his living with strangers most of his life he may have denied or repressed his feelings about this experience having had no sense that they would be acknowledged or validated he may instead have been made to feel as if he should be grateful for this monumental manipulation of his destiny. Somewhere within him, however, he does have feelings about this traumatic experience, and having these feelings does not mean that he is abnormal, sick, or crazy. It means that he is wounded as a result of having suffered a devastating loss, and that his feelings about this are legitimate and need to be acknowledged rather than ignored or challenged. Yes, yes, <laughs> it's exactly what I've been trying to say that we need to talk about this without feeling ignored or challenged or that it makes people feel uncomfortable. And I understand that for some listening to this, these things are very uncomfortable to think about or to bring up, but it's all about the education so that we can approach these adoptees in a little better way to help them cope with this stuff. I don't, I'm one that I don't like to be a victim of anything in my life, but I would be naive to not look at some of this and draw some correlations in my own life. And, you know, that gives me a chance to acknowledge it and kind of find the root cause of it so that I can be a better person and that I can realize it and be like, okay, that makes sense now. Maybe I can let that go. Now that I've realized, you know, where it came from. So that sums up chapter one of The Primal Wound by Nancy Verrier. And I'm going to post um, on my Facebook and Instagram pages this week. Um, I have a list of this looks like something that the foster parents probably wrote up for my parents. And it's kind of like what I ate, what medication was I on, what formula, you know, what even soap that, you know, I they were using on me. And uh, it's like basically a, a schedule of when to feed me, when to do this, when to do that. The one thing that I just find super interesting, and this goes back to where I say I felt like, you know, my parents went and picked me up off the shelf, of the shelf at Target. Under medications, it says Neosporin, and in parentheses, it says included. You know, like when you look on the box of something, like a toy or whatever, and it's like included is the batteries and this and that. Well, included in my box was the Neosporin. I just, it just kind of solidifies that feeling for me that I, you know, that I was, I just came out of nowhere. <laughs> I was never born. I was just there. And included was the Neosporin. But anyway, so I'm going to um, take a picture of that and I'm going to post it just so you can kind of see um, what my parents got for instruction. This was the instruction manual. It's one page. That's what they got. <laughs> Here's a baby. Here's this one page manual. Good luck. So anyway, coming up um, on the podcast, like I said, my mom will be coming on soon. 
Um, I also have a social worker that's going to talk about her experiences and what she has observed. And then I have some adoptees and adoptive parents that are going to be guests on the show as well. I will keep talking about the primal wound also, weaving that in there here and there. And I'm kind of still going through that book. I'm still reading it little by little. I'm digesting. It's a lot, like I said. So if you do decide to pick up the book, just be prepared. Um, Just take a deep breath and take it for what it is and um, try not to read into it too much. And um, the book is a suggestion on, you know, things that could come about from having the primal wound. And it doesn't mean that every adoptee has every symptom or emotional response to everything the same way. So, you know, just read it and be kind to yourself while you're reading it. It can bring up a lot of emotions and things like that. So, um, and it might bring up things that you just never even thought about. Um, it could bring those things up again too. So, um, as you're listening to the podcast or reading the book, you know, counseling is a big deal. I bet you now that there are counselors out there that specialize in people who are adopted or foster kids and um, and can help with that if you need it. So please don't hesitate to go look for a counselor or somebody to talk to. All right. Well, I will um, see you next week. But in the meantime... Take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, can I ask you for a favor? Could you please leave a rating, comment, and share this podcast to friends, family, or to your social media pages? You have no idea how much these little gestures help get the word out about this podcast. Don't forget to click the subscribe tab to get notified of future episodes so you won't miss a thing. You can also find my Instagram and Facebook links in the show notes if you would like to follow and support me there as well. Lastly, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Adoption Chronicles season of the podcast, you can email me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week.